1: I'm Brian Hyatt. This is Rolling Stone Music Now. Today, we're going to talk about the number one album in the country by Drake, an artist we've discussed many times on this show. In addition to topping the album charts, Drake's new album, For All the Dogs, also has seven of the ten top songs in the Hot 100. And First Person Shooter, an excellent track from this album with J. Cole, is at number one which means Drake has now tied Michael Jackson as the male solo artist with the most number ones in the Hot 100 ever. Now, of course, it's all really apples and oranges when you compare the streaming era to the pre-streaming era, but nonetheless, congratulations to Drake. And that success comes despite some mixed reviews and a bunch of negative discourse, including a war of words with the rapper-turned-podcaster Joe Budden, one of a number of people saying something we've been hearing for a while, that Drake has failed to mature as an artist. And joining me to talk all things Drake is Mankapur Kante. And Mankapur, there's so much to talk about. And this is continuing a number of things that have been happening in Drake's career. One is that ever since More Life, which famously he described as a playlist rather than an album, his albums seem to be getting longer. And sometimes are hard to get your mind around as a coherent work. But even though I'd say that For All the Dogs is too long, I'm not sure that general critique totally applies here.
0: As funnily enough, More Life is one of my top two favorite Drake projects. And some of the things that I like about More Life, I like about this album. I think More Life tried a lot of different things sonically. I think that this album is similar in that regard, like For All the Dogs taps into the dance rap movement. It taps into like kind of more classic boom bappy or like soul sample-y or gospel-tinged hip hop. There's the tinges of R&B. There's the like street sound. And so I enjoy that element of it. But I, I also do think that there is a thematic undercurrent to the album too. Listening for that. And listening to that makes it feel a little less incoherent to me. Certified Lover Boy, I think, was that too. And I just, I never really wanted to go back to it. I think I might have gotten through Certified Lover Boy like one time fully. Whereas this album, having listened to it a couple of times, I feel like has more playback value immediately to me than some of the other big sprawling projects he's put out since.
1: I think you're right. While it's, almost all over the place sonically, there definitely are some themes that draw it together.
0: And I have to
1: say, for all the sort of problematic elements of this album, I don't think I agree with this sort of what seems to be a growing online and critical consensus that this is his worst album. I think it's actually pretty good in many ways.
0: Yeah, I think so too. I think that Drake is super accessible. Like, I think that we started talking about the concept of pop rap, in part because Drake became so popular and ubiquitous and easy for lots of different types of people to get into. And I think that this album is like a good showcasing of that. I think one of the things that's really interesting, even in thinking about like the quality of like his rapping, he sounds like he's rapping almost a lot more effortlessly than we've known him in the past. Like it doesn't necessarily feel thoughtless at all, but it doesn't feel super thoughtful. And it's I think that he's leaning into the fact that even on his worst day, Drake is a better rapper than a lot of people.
1: I think that's true. And I think the thing about Drake is there's this small group across genres of streaming era superstars. And he's at the very top of that group. And almost everyone in that category reaches a level of ubiquity that's hard to fathom. And the way that Drake so regularly releases music, it's almost like Drake becomes a utility for people. It's almost as if you turn on your tap and there's more Drake. And then when it's not quite what they want, people are banging on the tap and saying, you know, there's something wrong with my Drake. It's coming (laughs) out a little bit more sexist than I might prefer.
0: That's a really good analogy.
1: And there is, and we'll talk about it, an uncomfortable turn towards what some people are seeing as misogyny. And that's one of the big themes to talk about. And we'll get to that in depth again. But before that, what are your favorite and least favorite tracks on the album?
0: Okay, my favorite and least favorite tracks. I love first-person shooter. Big is the Super
2: Bowl, but the difference is it's just two guys playing shit that they did in the studio. Send they back to me and they be
0: I'm really excited for Cole's album. It's so interesting to listen to a Drake album and then get excited for someone else's. Cole last week released a song with Lil Yachty, and also is just rapping phenomenally, like really just wiping the floor with these people that he's doing songs with and who he really clearly like respects like Cole's verse on First Person Shooter it it puts across a lot of the respect that I think he has for Drake I think he thinks clearly of him and Drake as peers you know there's always like him Drake Uh, Kendrick as thought of like the three biggest people in rap not just for their popularity but for their skill level but I I was really energized hearing them together. They've shown a lot of love to each other over the past year or so, with Drake headlining Cole's Dreamville Festival, and then Drake bringing Cole out in place of 21 on a few uh, of his It's All Blur tour dates. So that was a, probably one of the songs that like energized me uh, the most. What Would Pluto Do? The
2: question is, the question is, what would Pluto do for the ho, so I did it. What would Pluto do for the ho, so I did it.
0: It's so funny to think about it like there is that specter of this, his weirdness around gender and his like sexism and what a lot of people think of as misogyny like on the album. But what would Pluto do? The hook of it is leaning into like Future's brand of that. It sounds like, you know, Pluto famously a nickname for Future and talking about getting back at some girl. Right. But I think that song is really funny. And that's one of the things that I really appreciate about Drake is I think that he is hilarious. I think maybe that that comes from his acting background. I think a lot of people who are pretty smart in one way or another also tend to be very funny.
1: On the J. Cole track on First Person Shooter, one thing that was interesting to me is that moment you mentioned where J. Cole puts himself and Kendrick and Drake as the quote-unquote big three, and that's not a novel idea. But what's interesting is I don't know how Kendrick feels about being with Drake in that big three, because while Kendrick and J. Cole are, are closely associated, Kendrick has never had really that many nice things to say about Drake. When I talked to him for Rolling Stone, he said, you're not a candidate for the greatest rapper alive if you ever use a ghostwriter. And we all know who he was talking about. But it's interesting that J. Cole's kind of bridging the gap there.
0: I don't know that they have even referenced each other in so long that I'm not sure what like their relationship or idea is of each other, but I can't imagine that they don't all agree that they are like at the top of like popular rap and have been for the past few years. And I think that also it's nice to hear him on this album. He kind of like puts himself as number one, right? And like, that's a rapper thing that a lot of rappers do, but Cole is usually a lot more humble. I like hearing Cole tap into some more cockiness and then doing it on a song where I think that most people would agree he has the much better verse.
1: I like the song Bahamas Promises because it's ridiculous.
2: Broken pinky promises you fought on my Bahamas trip. I know that you're not for me.
1: Because to me, there's nothing funnier than broken pinky promises. You fucked up my Bahamas trip. That is such a niche complaint. And also you put the no and monogamy is such a classic dad jokey Drake line.
0: Yeah, the no one monogamy is good.
1: It's funny because there's a bunch of lines like that on the album where people are either like, that's hilarious, or please God, someone make Drake stop.
0: Here's my thing. I think that a lot of these jokes are very often at the expense of his romantic partners or just women in a non-platonic way. Sometimes it's in a competitive way, like the weird Esperanza Spalding venomous diss towards the end of the album for winning Best New Artist, I believe, over him. But yeah, but I think one of the I think there are two things that kind of color my approach to this. I think one is having been a woman my whole life and having been a rap fan my whole life. There's just a level of misogyny you have to live with to enjoy the genre. And I think it's interesting to have conversations about like, how much more are we going to tolerate and from who? Right. But you're always being shat on as a woman listening to rap. So it might as well be at least a little funny while I can still very vehemently disparage the tone that he has had about women over the past few projects. The other thing is like so many of the jokes, whether they're jokes or complaints and like you said, whether they're ranging on like clever to like unbearable and like, come on, is that there are a lot of regrets about money that he spent (laughs) on these women that he's after. And that's why like, I saw that some people like Bahamas Promises, but it didn't stand out to me because it's the same concept that he mostly brings in when he's talking about women that he is regretful about.
1: I also really like 8 AM in Charlotte. The money speaking for itself, I call it tell.
2: Fire top from a bitch that work at corporate sales. you shanko, we
1: It's produced by conductor Williams, who's best known for stuff with Griselda rappers. He's bringing in some sounds from the underground and it does get Drake into a, a little bit more of a descriptive reflective mode and I like the vibe of that song.
0: I think the song with a similar vibe that I like more is Away From Home. Because I like him recalling his come up in this way. And I like how empty it seems like the winnings are, even after this like very long path to the top. There's a line in Away From Home where he talks about like his house is just like walls and floors that only he can afford. And also like a lot of those lines are about people who he seemingly came up with in Toronto. Drake famously has this like massive house up there. And I think it's I think it's a good what was this all for type of reflection and who was I then? Who am I now? And am I better or am I any worse? Yeah. I think the only, the song that stands out to me is one that I just really don't enjoy as members only. I just think it's so boring.
2: Gangie, you're one of my members she gotta represent for the guys now nah, they gotta see a part
0: of me and it's perhaps it could be a little bit more positive on the gender side because he's talking about a woman as one of the guys but it's just such a boring song it almost feels like I don't know like Drake and party like you know they made so much good music together they he Drake was they were so influential in each other's career it seemed like there was a par- party next door it seemed like there was a point in time in which they were not necessarily working together as closely and so like it's good to see party and Drake together but I just find this song so boring.
1: And obviously a standout is Rich Baby Daddy with Sexy Red and SZA. It's got this standout chorus from Sexy Red. It's definitely very different than anything else on the album.
0: Yeah, I think it's fun. And, um, you know, like there is such a movement right now in like dance rap pulling from Philly or Baltimore Club, Jersey Club. This has more like a like an Atlantan freaknik kind of bounce to it. But I'm all about fun rap. Like fun rap is some of my favorite types of rap. Knowing that SZA loves to dance too and she hops on this song. And I'm glad that the only thing from SZA is not just Slime You Out, which I think is like a really dark song. Like I don't like listening to it. It puts me in a bad space. So I'm glad that it's contrasted with Rich Baby Daddy towards the end.
1: As I was saying, Drake does have this sort of ubiquity and there's this feeling that he never goes away which is a big part of his success and I also think that's part of why there's been what I would call a kind of outsized negative reaction to this album. despite the fact that it actually seems to stand up pretty well against his work over the last few years, I would say it's certainly not his best album, but it does compare pretty well to the other stuff. So it's a little weird to me that people decide that this is where they're jumping off the direct train and this is his worst album ever. but there are reasons for that what what are your best guesses about why this seems to be the Point of return for some people.
0: I think a lot of people just like know what Drake is like capable of. Like, I think a lot of people have been listening to Drake since So Far Gone and even before that. And he can weave together more coherent stories and anecdotes that are more detailed and united. He is in some ways better than all the like bars. He is so better than like the puns. A lot of Drake fans are closer to his age. And I think it depends on where your discourse lives. But if you're also in your 30s, like Drake, your life has changed so much that you might be looking for music that reflects more of the nuances rather than I think that this album is situated in like just a couple of like major themes and lives right there. That kind of goes back to a question that is ever present in music, which is what do we want from our artists? What do we want growth to look like for them? How much do... We need them to align with us. So I think that, yeah, I think that there's like kind of a divide around whether you find it incredibly immature and that is not good enough for you. I'm not taking this album super seriously. I think this Drake's level of fame and wealth, it inherently stunts people. We see it over and over again whether it stunts their politics, whether it stunts their interpersonal relationships. And so I think that this maybe speaks to a phenomenon like that or it portrays themes that align with that. But like, I mean, Drake is also like the Drake fountain because he can stay current. Like there's like, he sounds like Baby Keem on some of these songs. He sounds like Thug and Gunna on some of these songs. He sounds like Yachty on some of these songs. Like, He can do what's popular as good or if not better than the people who are doing it. And so, yeah, I think that's why there's a divide. It just depends on what you want from Drake, especially because, like, you know, at this point, this is like debatably his like eighth or seventh album. He's done so much already.
1: I think one thing I totally agree with you on is I'm not going into Drake albums these days trying to take them too seriously. Like a lot of people, I've been listening to him for many years, and there was probably a moment somewhere in there where I was wondering whether he he would have some major evolution and start talking about more serious things and get deeper lyrically. And what really helped for me in continuing to appreciate and love Drake is just realizing that was never going to happen. Because there's artists who change and mature so much that you can't even recognize them from the beginning. And he does do that musically, as you said. No one's been better than him at leaping from style to style with a few failures here and there, maybe see Slide. But generally, that's almost the most basic point about Drake. Everyone knows this. He's been amazing at continually modernizing his sound. And finding what the hot rapper or sound is at the moment and finding a way to do that and making it usually sound pretty natural. So sonically he evolves. Emotionally, intellectually, lyrically, maybe not really. It's either a feature or a bug. I think I've decided to treat it as a a feature that he's more or less going to be writing about the same things.
0: Also, if you look at the way discourse has evolved or devolved over the course of his career, when I heard Slime You Out, I was like, oh, this is like a soundtrack to the gender wars that is always happening on Twitter. Everything has become so bite-sized, so polarized, so... Internet discoursey that it takes someone who is able to rise above that fray, I think, to not reflect it. I look at this album as a reflection of like how people, particularly in regards to like gender and dating at least in the online circles that I, for better or worse, seem to find myself in. It echoes those conversations. And it's maybe it's worth saying who is having these conversations? How old are these people? But I think that like the culture of materialism, particularly in rap, has like trickled down into people's real life relationships. And I just think, Drake, what this album is to me is just spitting back up what so much of the hot topics of the day online kind of sound like.
1: One of the things that Joe Budden is mad at Drake about is that he wants him to make music for 36-year-olds or his idea of what a 36-year-old is. And I think the there's kind of two sides to this. The demand that Drake make a particular kind of music or address a particular kind of subject matter because he's 36 does feel like ageism creeping in.
0: But I think that the way that I have seen more of the critiques is it's not even necessarily just the subject matter. It's how he approaches it. Right. Like people rap about relationships, like particularly romantic relationships are a constant part of people's life. But and I think it's really difficult to talk about this album without talking about the gendered elements of it. When I think about him talking about his relationships and singling out or like calling out that some of these women are not only twenty five, but like twenty one in these songs and so much happens in life between the ages of 21 to 36. And usually one of the things that happens is you're able to look at things with more like nuance and like empathy. And I've noticed from listening to this album a couple of times, there he never admits to any fault in any of these relationships with these women. It's always the women being disloyal. It's always the women being ridiculous and acting childish. And it's like he even, there's a line on six or 7969Santa nine, nine where like she, oh, 25 year old is telling him like, I'm 25 and he's like, that excuse just doesn't fly for me.
2: Blame this shit on being 25. That excuse for me just doesn't fly.
0: The reality is, like, people grow and develop and there are incoherencies between people of different age groups very often. His reflections on these relationships as he raps about them don't exhibit any of the nuance or growth or development that one might if they are older. Like, I guess one argument is, like, the whole, the context and the subjects of the song should be different and the sounds of the song should be different is one argument. But I think for me, it would be, like, even in this subject matter, it could be more evolved.
1: That's exactly what I wanted to differentiate between, like I was saying, there's one aspect of that argument that's ageist, which is he shouldn't be making such modern music. He shouldn't be trying to make music for young people. That's ageist. But for example, that line about his girlfriend not using being 25 as an excuse, that's just fucked up. That's a whole different discussion to be clear.
0: Yeah. And I think honestly, that's fair. I haven't quite settled on what to make of this, but Nicki Minaj got The same critique, right? Famously, when her barbs waged a war against an internet critic, it was because the critic had said, "Nikki's pushing forty. I would like to see the music evolve." And this is something that this is a critique that I think can fall on women. You're this age. You should be doing this. You shouldn't be this sexual. You shouldn't be X Y Z. It's a tricky. It's a tricky thing. But I think that when you situate it in the context of what he's choosing to talk about, it makes it a little less weird and ageist and more realistic.
1: And yeah, let's dive into that. Even from the very first track, he dismisses the idea that he should have treated the woman he's rapping about better. It's so Drake to start an album with, first of all, nothing's my fault, and I couldn't have been better in this situation. It's so perfect that he put it at the very beginning. He's like, I just want to make this clear. I've never done anything wrong.
2: Say I could have treated you better or whatever, but I don't know. I think I did all right.
0: Yeah. He's like, I couldn't have treated you any better. That is never true in relationships. There has never been a relationship in which you could not have been a better partner to your partner.
1: And when we talked about Drake leaning in a little bit more on what seems to be misogyny or sexism, I actually really enjoyed her loss from last year, the 21 Savage collaboration. But there's Definitely some fucked up moments on it. He takes that totally uncalled for shot at Megan the Stallion, which I think we even talked about on the Megan episode. And it's just a, so unfortunate and unnecessary.
2: This about getting shots, but she's still a stallion. She don't even get a joke, but she's still smiling. Every night, late night, like I'm Jimmy
1: Fallon. And then on this album, on the song Fear of Heights, he goes at Rihanna. Yeah,
2: intersex was average with you. Yeah, I'm anti
1: because I had it with you. What was your reaction to that?
0: Yeah, I think that it's interesting that he's complaining about dating twenty-one-year-olds and twenty-five-year-olds on this album, and Rihanna, who is a woman who is like comparable in age and has like settled into a family and seems really happy, is who he's taking shots at. It's just it like the Megan bars. It is just deeply unnecessary. It feels like a good contrast to the fact that so many of his romantic issues are rooted in not messing with people who are part of his actual generation or closer to it and it's funny cuz it's called fear of heights and he's like trying to bring her down in those parts that are about her even like yeah the sex with you with average one of her best songs is called sex with me sex with me so amazing all this work, no vacation it's not coded very well at all and it's like trying to take people who have more to them publicly than their affiliation with drake down and it's notice how all of these other young women are like nameless women that like wouldn't have anything if it wasn't for him right it's a weird signal of like where one feels superior and where one doesn't and then proceeds to write several bars alluding to the person
1: it does feel like the part at the very beginning where he says, why they make it sound like I'm still hung up on you is the most revealing, protesting too much, embarrassing line over. It just reveals a lot. And it's the kind of thing you don't say unless you're actually still hung up on the person. I mean, everyone had this perception in their head that not to get too gossipy, that he obviously had it bad for her. And there was that embarrassing moment where he publicly proclaimed his love for her. And she kind of friend zoned him in front of the whole world. And he's maybe never gotten over it.
0: He, like, goes in for like, a kiss or something, like, on the who knows where, and she turns it into a hug. I think it was when she was accepting of a very big VMA. And that was, like, what, like, seven years ago? Like, I don't know, man. Yeah, I think it's pretty ugly. I think it would be an interesting exercise to go through and try to, like, delineate the shots that seem very direct and then the shots that are more coded and harder to differentiate who they're about, and how many of the direct shots are at women, and women we can easily name, how many of the direct shots are at other guys. Fear of Heights, he kind of closes it with like, yeah, that man is still with you, he can't leave you, which may or may not be an allusion to ASAP Rocky, and then on the song with Yachty, there's an ASAP Rocky bar that is not necessarily a shot, but it's like, if you and this person are not on good terms, perhaps don't say their name in a song, as a pun.
2: I ain't pretty flop, oh, bitch, shit get really rocky, eh?
0: So like I know that those are direct, but even coming at ASAP Rocky is like an offshoot of coming at Rihanna, right? And I just I don't know like on I think on what would Pluto do? There is like a lot of allusions to beefs, but they're just that they're very obscure allusions. They don't feel specific, but like these very specific shots at these very specific women is worth looking into comparatively. And as you mentioned
1: on Away from Home, which is a good song, he's going through memories, and in the middle of these sort of poignant memories. And I, I have to admit, I can't help but find it a little bit hilarious because it's so incredibly petty and unnecessary that he's still mad in 2011 that the jazzy, very talented artist Esperanza Spalding had a big year at the Grammys that year instead of him. And he's, he's complaining about people caring that Michelle Obama put her on a playlist.
2: Grammys to my name,
1: it's ridiculous, but I don't know if he knows that it's ridiculous. And he's, you know, avoiding the men that he, that he thinks might come back at him. But going at Esperanza Spalding, who obviously is going to record a, a jazz ballad dissing him.
0: Yeah. And Rihanna is not going to either. She barely makes music.
1: But with Esperanza Spalding, I wanted to believe that it's a joke. Like, who's really going to start beef with this artist who has nothing to do with you and never had trouble with anyone and is obviously very talented. And it was a million years ago. And if he's not kidding, that's... Crazy.
0: Like I'm less interested in a lot of this on what his intentions are, and I'm more so taking it on face value because we can't know, right? Like he doesn't really do interviews for real, for real. Like we can't really know. Even the Megan Bar on Circle, Cir- uh, Circle Loco. Where the follow up to the line that is like a play on people believing that she lied about being shot is like she's laughing, but she doesn't get the joke. And he's not necessarily talking about Megan in that line, but it seems like he's just talking about a woman who he says a thing to. But it's even if it's a joke, it's a bad one.
1: Yeah, I think that's fair. And I also think that no matter what, Esperanza Spaulding is not the person who comes out looking the worst for that lyric. If, if it was the joke, the only joke could be on Drake being the pettiest person alive.
0: But that's the kind of part of the Drake mystique now. Right. He's he's owned that at several points. And yeah, it can be fun. I I think it would be interesting to talk to younger people about Drake, because most of the people that I talk to about Drake are also in their 30s or close to it. It kind of reminds me when you brought up earlier, you know, like the lean from her loss to this, the like leaning into this like gendered antagonism. There is also a lot of that. There is a lot of gendered antagonism in the air from. Andrew Tate being a popular figure online to the existence of like a manosphere to discuss or exist in at all. That's not to say that Drake is trying to advance these things. Again, I'm not really speaking on his intentions because I don't know them, but it definitely exists and overlaps with these things that are happening in much darker ways more widely.
1: But yeah, there was a good article by David Dennis Jr. on the site Anscape, and the headline was Drake made an album for the Kevin Samuels generation. And Kevin Samuels was sort of a manosphere figure in his own right. But maybe you can explain Kevin
0: Samuels a little bit. Kevin Samuels' existence was more so in like, if there is a Black manosphere, that, right? Disparaging Black women in particular as dating prospects, creating weird, unnuanced standards or codes around romantic interactions. And he ended up passing away not too long ago.
1: And basically what David Dennis Jr. does in this article is just place Drake in that context and talk about how he's seen friends get really into that unfortunate approach to gender relations, and it felt like Drake is weirdly coming from that direction. And one thing he points out that's just so obvious that I didn't quite put my finger on is that Drake has been using the word bitch a lot lately, and he never really said that before. And you said you noticed that as well.
0: Yeah, it, it's just harsher. There was a moment in on his It's All a Blur tour where one of his fans in the audience has a sign indicating with like some puns on uh, Honestly Nevermind and her loss that he had an ex-girlfriend that was supposed to come to the concert with him that didn't. And so Drake reads the sign, stops the show, reads the sign throughout the tour. This is not like a one-off experience throughout the tour. Drake interacts with fans and then gives away things based on their signs or their appearance or whatever. So he gives this young man $50,000 to, he says, to spite essentially this ex that didn't come. And the crowd at the time this is happening is chanting, fuck that bitch, right? Right. And so Drake is, oh, I'm not going to say that, but fuck that young lady. So it's like he in that moment, he indicates that he does know better, but is still participating, you know. And I think that there is not that hesitance on this album. On the Yachty song, I think he says, I don't even want to call her my bitch because I love her so much. So he he does show an awareness that it's super derogatory and unnecessary. It'd be interesting to think around the intention of actually partaking in it so much without questioning it or pointing it out throughout the album.
1: It's darkly funny, maybe, that while people were hoping that Drake takes up causes or became a philanthropist, is the, this is the cause he chooses to pursue. He gives $50,000 to this guy.
0: Yeah, I mean, he does give some women some purses and he gave a couple a uh, honeymoon, all allegedly. I don't know that any of these people have turned up with these monies and these trips and these bags. But uh, yeah, I think that's another part of it. I think there was a time, especially in the height of the Black Lives Matter movement, where we're like, this is the one of the most powerful rappers in the world. Like, why does he have nothing to say directly about what is happening to people socially? But it's like, as time has gone on, it's like he's deeply interacting with what people are talking about. It's just not in any productive way at all.
1: Yeah, I think that is part of realizing that Drake is never going to be that guy for whatever reason. I think he's made it clear he doesn't have it in him for whatever reason.
0: I, I really battle with this. Like, there are professional activists and organizers who we could listen to and platform. And it's like, do I even really want to know <laughs> what Drake has to say about Black people being killed in the street? Like, do I think it's going to be useful? But at the same time, it's like people don't pay as much attention to activists and organizers or even politicians. Like our, our entertainment figures have this outsized level of clout. And so I think it's a worthy question of asking what they do with it. And then I think another question is like, who should we be listening to on these things anyway? That's one of the reasons I like No Name so much, right? I think she has like a very clear or has had in the past like a very clear answer to that question, which is these people have all the time in the world. They should be reading and they should know more about these issues and they can point to us. They should be the ones to point us to the people that they're reading and like learning from, even if they are not like the spokesperson themselves. But Drake has so much money and so much fame and clout and resources and access and social sway that there's not a ton of if you don't have an intrinsic motivation to do that, you might not have any.
1: Maybe he gets there eventually, but I, I just don't think that's the brand.
0: Yeah, I don't think so either. And like, yeah, I mean, the, I think that like David Dennis does make a good point is like, I think what you can hope for is at least not regression. I think that is a good prayer.
1: <laughs> and again, I don't even know if it's regression. It's actively getting worse is what I would say. As far as that sort of sourness and bitterness and things that come off misogynistic, it's not even regression because it wasn't really there at the very beginning. It's like this new strain. somehow his purportedly idyllic life as a 36-year-old very rich bachelor has led to a, some really nasty feelings about some women. It is I- interesting because there's sort of an artistic lesson that you can have seemingly everything that anyone could want, or at least a young man's immature fantasy of what everyone would want, and you're still this unhappy. Is this sort of deeper theme that's in his work?
0: Yeah, like there. I think the dissatisfaction is such a big theme in the album, and it's like I thought it was interesting that after the whole Joe Budden debacle, in which he responded in a comment to Joe Budden, disparaging him for not being as successful a musician as him, and for and Drake like disparaging him for not having as much money as him, he posts a series of it's like almost like affirmations to himself on his Instagram. He says, "I feel valued. I feel loved. I feel weightless." and it's like those things communicate the opposite of dissatisfaction but the thing that you took presumably a lot of time to compose instagram captions only take a minute this album took a long time consistently conveys a dissatisfaction and it's it seems like he's when he draws a sense of satisfaction it is only in comparison To people who have less like the caption before this string of like motivational quotes is I thank God for this life and not having to come to rush conclusions on Best Buy podcast mics, which is a shot at people in the media, maybe particularly Joe Budden, who make a living or who spend their time as hobbyists talking about and debating musical merit, um, you know, on the air. And it's like, I don't know, this like sense of gratitude and, and, and happiness and completion. It's not coming across on For All the Dogs.
1: It's the same spirit of saying people act like I'm not over Rihanna. The more you say it, the less we believe you. And it is super funny that his one of his responses to Joe Budden literally ended with, well, I have a plan. Joe Budden says he's not maturing artistically. And his response is, you have to fly commercial, but I have my own plan.
0: Yeah. And it's like everybody. And I think that's one of the things that I think about life. And I think that we would all be a lot more gracious to each other if we thought about it this way. Is this all hard? everybody's life is hard and everyone suffers and it's all painful. And it's all also very beautiful and very nice. And there's a lot to be grateful for. And like these weird, and trying to tap into those feelings out of like a sense of superiority is I think where it starts to get tricky. But yeah, I mean, you know, I I would love to hear a Drake. And, he, you know, he says he's going to take some more time. He's going to take some time away from music. He has some stomach issues he wants to get in order. And also he has some other things that he would like to do. I would love to hear a Drake who has not made three albums in four years. I I think it would be very interesting to hear what he would have to say. And I think that we would have... Many more podcast mic conversations to have that could go longer and deeper if he could come back after taking a year or two or three off and let us know what's going on with him then.
1: I honestly cannot imagine him being away for three years unless he's, God forbid, seriously ill. There's both an artistic drive in him and a competitive drive and also this deep understanding of streaming and the understanding that you need to be constantly pumping out new material and keeping a presence on there. And I think that streaming crown is very important to him.
0: And I think that kind of comes down to a question that, like, you know, we ask in like capitalism, which is like, how much do you really want? Like, how much do you need? Do you need more streams? Do you need to be relevant over the next three years? Those are things that I think as a society, you know, we're asking each other, like, how much does one person really need?
1: And I think Drake's answer would be, I do need it. Why are you even asking? But I don't think questioning the logic of capitalism is again something we can expect from Drake.
0: We'll see. If you got a plane, maybe just take some time and just fly it for fun, you know, leave us alone.
1: (laughs) Before we go, what are your all-time favorite Drake albums?
0: Definitely Take Care. I think Take Care is a classic album. It was like also my coming of age, and I feel like a lot of like Drake's coming of age too is like a rap star. More life, I really love. I think that those are like my top two. Nothing was the same would round out my top three.
1: I'm also really partial to if you're reading this, it's too late. I'm a big fan of Tough Guy Drake for whatever reason. I also want to put in a word for What a Time to Be Alive, his project with Future.
0: I love the Future project. A lot of people don't like What a Time to Be Alive, but I love that album. I think those songs are great. I think they're fun. I think they're like, just there's like the sprinkle of toxicity. It's not so deep that I feel like gross listening to it. I was in college when that album came out. Had a lot. I have a lot of great memories to it. I also very much like that album. I'm glad you said that.
2: They just made like t- Country.
0: Every song on that album is great. Diamonds Dancing. There's just great songs on that album.
1: And that's our show. We'll be back next week. In the meantime, subscribe to Rolling Stone Music Now, wherever you get your podcasts. And please leave us five stars and a nice review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, because that's always appreciated. But as always, thanks so much for listening, and we will see you next week.